He's writing, in fact, about Jesus. He was prophesying about him. Something would result from the anguish that Jesus would go through on the cross. And Jesus would see it and he would be completely satisfied. Through the mocking, rejection, anguish, excruciating pain of crucifixion, Jesus saw something that made it all worthwhile. What, what did he see? Well, first of all, I believe he saw his father's heart. You see, even though Jesus was in very nature God, he humbled himself and became a man. He came to our world. He broke into our world to fulfill God's great plan of salvation. God wanted to draw us back to himself. Jesus had seen God's intention right from the very beginning of time because, of course, he was himself God. He was part of the Godhead, as John prayed this morning. And God's plan wasn't written on a piece of paper, but rather on his heart, on God's heart. God so loved the world, we're told, that he sent his only son. We were alienated from God. And the plan was to restore relationship. This is how Isaiah puts it in the message. He says, God couldn't believe what he saw. Not a soul around to correct this awful situation. So he did it himself. He took on the work of salvation, fueled by his own righteousness. God saw that we needed someone to stand in the gap. Jesus saw his father's heart and came. Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. He only ever did what he saw his Father doing. And yet despite this, he always knew that his mission on our behalf would end in seeming failure on a Roman cross. It was only what he saw in his Father's heart in those moments that held him to the cross. Jesus saw his father's heart. Jesus saw our need. When he became a man, he first saw, he saw at first hand the results of of, uh, a world that had turned its back on on God. F.B. Meyer says that Jesus saw the timid oppressed by the strong, the helpless victim pursued by greed and passion, mothers weeping over the children that had been torn from their forlorn and desolate hearts. He heard the wail of the world's sorrow. He sighed over the deaf and dumb. He had compassion on the leper, wept at the grave. Jesus saw the desolation caused by this sin-sick world. The effects of our sin were everywhere. And they still are. Broken relationships, exploitation, selfishness. People living without a certainty that they are loved, valued and secure. Just like his father, Jesus saw straight into the human heart. And he sees straight into our hearts today. Jesus saw Nathaniel under a fig tree and he knew him immediately he knew him inside out he saw him he saw him in the spirit Jesus saw Zacchaeus hiding in a fig tree and he knew immediately his deepest longing was to be restored and for his life 
which was going the wrong way to be turned around. And Jesus stopped for Zacchaeus and called him down and said, Today is the day I'm coming to your home. And everything changed in a moment. Jesus saw his need. Jesus saw the crowds and he knew that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw. He saw people, but he saw into their hearts. He saw their needs. Jesus knew the need, but he, he knew that the problem was one of the human heart. He saw there was only one way to restore relationship, broken men and women, to a father who loved them. Only one answer to the problem of the human heart. Jesus still sees each one of us this morning. His eyes of blazing fire penetrate through every barrier that we put up, preventing, trying to shut him out of parts of our lives. His eyes penetrate. He sees. Jesus sees our need. Nothing is hidden from our gaze. He sees you. He sees your frailties. All the hidden dark corners. All your disappointments. He sees your failures. He sees all your emptiness and your loneliness. He sees all the questions. He sees all your hopes and dreams. Be encouraged. He knows our deepest need even when we don't know what it is. Jesus sees our need. Jesus also saw the cost. In Holman Hunt's picture, you may have heard me talk of this before, there's he, he paints a picture, it's called The Shadow of Death. It's a disturbing title, and it's of Jesus in a carpenter's shop, working as a carpenter, and his mother is clearing up the floor. Mary's clearing up the floor, and Jesus has been busy all day, and it's the end of the day, and he's stretching out his arms, stretching his muscles out, and the sun is shining on him, and he's looking up at the sun, but there's a shadow being cast behind, and the shadow is of... Uh, of uh, almost a, a body being nailed to a cross. And under, at the foot of the cross is, looks like there's Mary, his mother. Jesus lived his life in the shadow of the cross. All his life, he knew that he would one day end up on a Roman cross bearing us. And he came to do it. That's what he came to do. Jesus saw the cost of solving the problem of our sin, our rebellion. He, he knew the cost. He knew the holiness of God. He knew that none of us could approach God and live. God is a consuming fire. And the reason today is called Good Friday is that Jesus was prepared to pay the price for each one of us. He wasn't prepared to sweep it under the carpet, our issues under the carpet. He would pay the price for our sin to be dealt with once and for all. Sin had to be obliterated, not covered over. Jesus became the solution by taking our punishment. And the Bible has a word for it. The word is propitiation. We're not into big words these days. But it means two things. It says, the first one is that through Jesus' death on the the cross on our behalf, God's holiness and justice are satisfied. God is rightfully angry at our sin, the wrath of God. But by what Jesus did on the cross, God is, God's wrath is appeased. 
God is no longer angry with us because Jesus' blood is sufficient to deal with our sin. But also through Jesus' death on the cross, we can know forgiveness. So God's wrath is satisfied and we know forgiveness. John says he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We have been bought at a price. Jesus himself said that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. For many. For you and for me. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. Only Jesus could pay the price for our sin on the cross. Whoever believes in him will have their sins forgiven. Jesus paid the ultimate price. He set his face like flint. He went to Jerusalem knowing what was going to happen. He knew what awaited him. Why? Did he have some sort of martyr complex? Was he tired of living? Not at all. He knew it was God's plan And he knew that he would be the final and complete sacrifice for our sins. Was there any other way? If there was, God would have taken it. And hours before his arrest, Jesus struggled alone in prayer. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. There was no other way. Finally, Jesus saw the reward. Isaiah says that out of the anguish of his soul, somehow Jesus would be satisfied. With the eyes of faith, Jesus saw all that he would accomplish on the cross. He would destroy the devil's work once and for all. What spurred him on? One word. Three letters. Joy. Joy spurred Jesus on. The writer of Hebrews says, Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Incredible. Incredible. The closest that we can get to understanding this, uh, uh, what... The writer of Hebrews is talking about, and it's a poor illustration of that, is, is, a, is a woman going to give birth and having carried this baby and getting to the point of birth and there's the pain of, of maybe a long labor. Incredible pain. But at the end, when the baby is born and the baby is handed to the mother, the pain and all the agony was worth it because... The mother holds the child. That is a poor illustration of what Jesus went through. Jesus went through ultimate agony. He suffered for the only time the father turning his face away from him. Jesus knew the pain of being alone and rejected and forsaken. And he did it for us. The son of God did it for us. He knew the pain. But for the joy set before him, he endured it. Great joy. Jesus' reward is that he will bring many sons to glory. Many sons and daughters to glory. In a multitude of people, the writer of the Proverbs says, is a king's glory. Very simply, Jesus is the king of glory. 
God has given him a name which is above every name, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Jesus' reward will be millions upon millions of people who've been saved by God's grace through Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. And we will be in that throng. And if you're not a believer this morning, you can be in that throng by giving your life to Christ. Gary Brady says this. What good is a king with no subjects? A chief with no braves. A teacher with no pupils. A pastor with no church. A father with no children. When the king of the Jews hung on the cross, many thought him a king with no kingdom and no subjects. The soldiers delighted in hailing him king with great mockery. Yet since that time, his kingdom has grown and grown, starting as a grain of mustard seed. It has become a great tree, originally a small stone. Now it is a mountain that fills the whole earth. Jesus' church is spread far and wide. We may not know days of, of growth in the West, but across the world, Jesus' church is growing day upon day. Multitudes of people have been saved, and Jesus is satisfied. Is satisfied. Jesus saw us. And our challenge is, do we see him? Jesus himself said this, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Do you see Jesus? See at the center of your heart, the focal point of your gaze. On the cross, as Jesus hung on the cross, there are two thieves, both of them, at the start of the six hours of their agony on the cross, hanging next to Jesus. Both of them are railing against Jesus. Save yourself and save us, mocking him. I mean, how can that be? Two guys who are about to die are mocking him and ridiculing him. Surely you'd be focused. Why Why would Jesus be the focus of of their anger? Something deep going on. But in those hours of silence, Jesus says seven things, and there's a moment. We don't, there's no other discussion between Jesus and the thieves. There's a moment. One of the thieves, something has happened. In the darkness, in the agony, in the pain, he has seen something that has changed his life. And in that moment, he says, Jesus Remember me, this is the guy who hours before was railing against Jesus. In that moment, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says this, today, you will be with me in paradise. There's no discussion, just one look. That's all it took. One look and one, this man's eternal destiny, right at the last, was changed. And I would say this morning... If you've never given your life to Christ, just one look. Maybe you're here today in busy week. Whatever's been going on, our responsibility, if you're a follower of Jesus, is to fix your eyes on him. 
turn your eyes to him. And that's what we're going to do in a moment. We're going to break bread. We're going to remember Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us and bore our shame. I'm going to finish with something Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. This is what he said. Ah, you may admire the life of Jesus Christ and feel that his words and works were wonderful. You may shed tears as you think of him as the babe born in that manger or as you watch him at the end forsaken of all and crucified. You may feel a great desire to follow him and to imitate him and his life, but you will never feel your whole soul and entire being going out to God in gratitude, wonder and adoration until you are conscious of the fact that he died for you and until you have experienced his life and power flooding into your own changing it transforming it infusing power into it turning your defeats into victories and liberating you from the power of sin that can be yours that can be yours we're going to break bread we're going to remember Jesus we're going to take bread remember his body broken on the cross for us we're going to take the, the wine, the juice. We're going to remember Jesus' blood shed for us. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That's what the Bible says. So whether you want to uh, reflect by yourself, whether you want to pray in twos, whether you want to pray with someone else, why don't we take a moment now to remember Jesus? I'm just going to read some verses In the following directives, I have no praise for you. If your meetings do more harm than good. <laughs> when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat it, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anyone else. We're not going to do that this morning. We're going to together remember Jesus Christ. We're going to remember him together. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes why don't you come and take bread and wine why don't you come and spend some time just reflecting we're going to finish with a song afterwards drawing us together but take bread wine and remember jesus christ his body broken for you